positions in the letter to the Hebrews. If you would turn there, <clears throat> we're going to read these first four, first four verses that appear before us here. For those of you that have not been with us, we have spent the first six of our messages looking at the word God and doing a brief overview of the doctrine of God. And um, the reason for that is the word of God reveals God. It does not explain him. It reveals him. And we wanted to see something of what that revelation of God is because he's all through this letter. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I urge you to be watching for that. The entire first chapter is the Father and the Son. And the second chapter introduces the Holy Spirit. So I pray that that will be um, an encouragement to you. Having spent that time um, and being made more aware, perhaps more sensitive to who our God is and how we find him throughout the scriptures. This book is about God. A visiting pastor recently told me this week that my sermon last week, he was asking his children that were with him, um, uh, what came to your mind, what particular part of the sermon stuck out. I, I appreciate every father who does that. You should be. You should be asking your children what they heard and talking with them about it. <clears throat> now, he said uh, to, I believe it was his younger son, what, what stuck out to you? He said, he said God 134 times. <laughs> it was a God-saturated sermon. Oh, yeah, that's what we want. We want God-saturation. I like that a lot. So, it's interesting to know who's counting you sometimes. <laughs> I, would ask, I would ask that all of you would avoid counting how many times I go, oh, I, I don't need to know. <laughs> okay, well, that being said, brethren, we do want to come into this most holy most holy text. It is glorious, and I do pray in, in God's name that as we spend a little bit of time unfolding these four verses, that our hearts will grow in love for God and Christ. <clears throat> this is not vain repetition. This is to say that we really need to have a good grasp of these first four verses because they're the key to the rest of the book. If you just pass over it, like, well, there's a little God talk here, you're going to miss a great deal that's important in the book. This theme carries all the way through. The greatness of our God, but especially the Lord Jesus. That being said, if you would stand with me one more time, we're going to read these verses together. Quite thankful to hear that some of you are uh, encouraged. Uh, as we read the scriptures together here, I go back and forth whether that should be a regular practice or no, but I'm certainly thinking about it and praying about it. But certainly for this passage, 
we want to do that. I, I want your mind anchored in these four verses. So, Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to read together verses 1 through 4. May God add his blessing to our reading of the word. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom so made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please remain standing for prayer. And I uh, do ask you, brethren, or, uh, or let me inform you, if, if you have difficulty continuing to stand, if you have some condition that makes it difficult to continue standing, please do be seated. Otherwise, let us unite our hearts as we stand before the living God. We are in the presence of the one of whom we just read. My holy Father in heaven, we have just read of thee and thy greatness. And we have just read of thy precious, thy blessed, thy glorious, holy Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that thou wouldst come in the mighty power of thy spirit, that thou wouldst come and fill thy temple. O God, thou didst once come down and fill the tabernacle when it was done. Lord, it was so powerful, the priest could not minister. Father, the same happened in the temple in its dedication. Thou didst come down in glory, and thou didst fill that place. Lord, as we read this book, we are thy temple now. <clears throat> and I pray with all my heart, I pray with all my soul, your word promises to hear us when we pray in Christ and in according to thy word, I ask thee, fill thy temple this morning. Come with the mighty power of thy spirit. Give us light and understanding. Breathe life where there is death. Breathe light where there is darkness. Bring strength where there is weakness. Oh God, bring wisdom where there is puzzlement. And I pray, O oh righteous Father, that with all our hearts, we would give ourselves to hearing thy word, to believing thy word, and when thou dost call us to, to obey thy word. Help us to love thee and to love one another. Speak now, O oh God. This text tells us thou art a speaking God. Oh, may we hear from thy precious word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I 
The four spirit-breathed verses that we've just read are amongst the most beautiful in the New Testament, if not in the entire Bible. We have learned previously that they are one long verse in the original Greek. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, read these verses. Read these verses and feed your soul. Read and feed to stoke the fires of love in your heart. Read and feed to better know the God who created you and for those who profess the God who saved you. Read and feed to provoke Worship in your heart. Praise God. Read these verses and praise God. Thank God. Magnify God. Bless God. Love God. Obey God. And adore God. This is your God. And the Son of God, Christ Jesus, is explicitly revealed to us with remarkable skill, divine splendor, and radiant glory. Do you see that here? It's here. You can't just skim over it and go, got it. You need to spend some time thinking, meditating on it and what it means in light of the rest of Scripture and how it should apply in your life. I can tell you one application. It's twofold. Worship and obedience. Now, we've we've spent six messages on an exceedingly brief overview of the infinite, incomprehensible, thrice holy God of Scripture. We learned that God reveals himself in Scripture as one essence, spirit, and three subsistences, persons. And we found Mark Jones's definition helpful. I repeat it. Quote, in the Godhead, There are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But God is one, and this one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We cannot deny this doctrine of the Trinity. We must hold to the unity of the divine essence as well as the distinctions of the persons. You will have a wrong idea of God if you don't hold that core idea together. One essence, three persons. That God 
reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost throughout the letter to the Hebrews. So let us now focus our attention on the heart of this passage. God speaks. The one that we considered for six weeks speaks. God speaks. And this gives us the title of our message. God's divine speech. The prophets. God's divine speech. The prophets. And may God speak the words of life to us today. Exalting his son Jesus Christ. By the almighty power of his spirit. I can open no man's heart. I can open no child's heart. The most persuasive preacher in the world cannot save you. You must believe the God who speaks. You must believe his words. Salvation, assurance in your walk, begins and ends with believing God's words. May the Lord impress that on our souls this morning. Well, our first main thought is this. The one true living God speaks. We've looked at his identity. And now we want to talk about something that he does. And he does more things than we can count. But this is something that the word of God makes abundantly clear. God speaks. Chapter 1, verse 1, the text says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Our focus today will be the first part of that verse. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake, In time past, under the fathers by the prophets. The point of the first verse of the text is that the God of the Bible, the one true living God, speaks. He said, you've you've repeated that a number of times. I intend to. Why? Why? It's not because I'm trying to catch up with the number of my mentions of God in a previous sermon. It's because we often say, I believe the Bible, and yet we do not go to it thinking, God is speaking. Am I hearing? God is speaking. No matter how flimsy the vessel is behind any pulpit, when he speaks the word of God, God is speaking. In this first chapter of Hebrews, God usually refers to the Father. The word God usually, and that's true in Paul's writings as well. Most of the time when you see the word God, it's referring to the Father Jesus is usually referred to as the Lord or as the Son, as we will see in this first chapter. So, 
this father, this God, this first subsistence of the Trinity created the world by speaking. You've read that? I don't know how many times. And he blessed his creation with divine speech. Genesis, the first book of the Bible begins. In the beginning, God, and we know that part, right? So it's God, it's the same God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the chapter unfolds by repeatedly using the words, and God said, and God said. And it's usually followed by what comes to pass because God said. It's powerful. Genesis then tells us that God spoke to the living creatures and God blessed them saying, there it is. He wasn't simply thinking something. It was said to his creatures, be fruitful and multiply. Following that, God created male and female humans in his own image, and God blessed them. He blessed them. He lavished, he poured out his goodness upon them, saying, Do we use our mouths for lavishing good on people? We sure should. We really should. I wonder how many times we bless somebody in a day. I wonder how often we say things that didn't help, didn't change, didn't edify anything or anybody. But God... Uses his mouth for good. We should learn something from that. God blessed them. It's one of the reasons the Jews bless one another when they meet each other. They bless each other in the name of the Lord. God blessed the male and the female, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, saying unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion, etc. God was not making a suggestion. God was not making an option. He said, multiply. Have babies. Our world is doing everything it can to keep that from happening and to destroy as many of them that are produced as possible. You understand that there is a very long war against God's command to be fruitful and multiply. It's it's amazing over the years that I have run into young Christian people that want to get married. And you say, why do you want to get married? And they don't mention having children. I mean, every child in here should at least be taught by mom and dad. You're a man. You're a woman. You're going to grow up, God willing, to be a father, to be a mother, unless the Lord has some other plans for you. Because God began this entire 
worldly project, but be fruitful and multiply. Fill up the earth. The word replenish gets by some of us. The Lord says, fill it up. Fill up the earth. That's precisely what our world is fighting. They're taking my air. They're taking my space. No. They're obeying God. Even when they don't realize that's what they're doing. So, in and from the beginning, God's divine speech blessed man and woman as husband and wife. And he blessed them in the procreation of children as part of taking dominion over the earth. Now, I do want to add a quick footnote. I do realize that not all marry. Not all can produce even when married. That does happen occasionally. Not saying anybody is a second-class citizen if that's the case. But just saying, normally, when we look at the Word of God, the issue of male and female is marriage, babies, for God. Be fruitful and multiply. And God blessed it. He added his blessings. How many, how many blessings do you want to avoid? I urge you to think about what's being said here. Now, <clears throat> God blessed them in the procreation of children as part of God's program or his purpose, his project, his mission, whatever you want to call it, of men and women having dominion over the earth. Children are a part of that having dominion. God's divine speech permeates the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it is God speaking, no matter who the character is in the book. Now, what I mean by that is that these words are his inspired words. The devil's lies are in those inspired words and they're lies. But it is God that had it inspired to put into the book, right? To include it so that you understand something about good and evil. The whole book is God's word. We call it that. There are ugly things here in the book. You can't re- I can't read the book of Judges at, without at times being repulsed at things that are in there. But it's God's holy word. Holy. Not because the actions are always holy. The things that men and women can do, even children, uh, can be deeply vexing, heartbreaking <clears throat> But it's there in God's word to instruct us. Let's remember, the serpent shows up in the third chapter of the first book of the Bible. And he spread his lies. When that is set before us, God is teaching us about that situation. Well... Very often, 
we get confused by things like the red letters in the Bible. I'm not looking for a dust up here. Um, it, I will refuse any being invited to step outside after saying this, but, but the red letters uh, very often are not, um, they don't give the right impression of the word of God. I've had people say, that's what Jesus is saying. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit did the whole book. Amen. They did the whole book. If you love the red words, I had people tell me that. <laughs> I love the red words the most. Well, it's good. good to love what God says. But the whole book is God speaking. He's teaching us. He's showing us right from wrong, righteous from wickedness, goodness from evil, all the way through. And he wants us to see how low we can go without him. And it's horrifying. So, when we say this is God's word, we should be thinking all the way through. All the way through. So, with the letter to the Hebrews, it's the same way. God's speech, the divine speech, permeates the entire letter. That brings us to our second thought. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Again, the text says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. For many centuries, the Jews lived in the knowledge that they were the covenant people of God. God, the almighty creator, either spoke directly to men as he did Adam, Abraham, and some others. Or God communicated his divine speech through prophets. So the story of Israel and the Jews progressed and expanded over time. The Jews knew that the God of Scripture created the heaven and the earth. They knew where they came from. One of the reasons for Genesis and Exodus being in the Bible is for the Jews to know who they were. The promises that God had made to them. They knew that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by that, they plunged the entire human race into the dark night of sin and death. My last remaining uncle passed away yesterday. He made it to 93. The entire generation of my parents is now gone. And that's directly in my family. It's all gone. And that's coming for me 
And that's coming for you. Unless you're alive when the Lord Jesus returns, you have a date with the coffin, you are going to die. <laughs> I trust everyone appreciates the third verse of 506 that we just sang a few moments ago. Death cannot destroy forever. It's a, it, it is how we pass from here to glory. My uncle professed to know the Lord Jesus Christ and walked in that profession for a very long time. <clears throat> I have no reason to doubt that he is in glory. It is difficult not to envy him. But as long as we're here, we need to hear the voice of God. A moment came. Very, very few of my relatives have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was always very special for me to talk to my uncle and to my aunt. But why do those that we love pass away? Adam, it's all there. Now the Jews knew why death was going all the way back to the time they were given the scriptures, if they lived generations from Adam, they came to the realization of why people die. It's right there in the book. In the day that ye eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. They died spiritually on that day and they died physically later on. They were separated from the Most High God. The Jews knew this. Other people in the world... And their false gods and false doctrines did not. Why did they know? Because God speaks. Divine speech is what told them about the garden. I thought Moses wrote it. Yes, he did. <clears throat> but the author of all the books of the Bible, regardless of the human source, is the Holy Spirit. So the Jews knew that a serpent had deceived Eve and that Adam had followed her into sin. They knew that amid the, that tragic fall, God promised that the seed of the woman would crush Satan in, uh, and crush the serpent's head. From childhood, the Jews were taught that Cain slew Abel and that Noah built the ark to save his family from the great flood that covered the whole earth. Now listen, we have to be clear there was no Bible that you could buy in a, in a Christian bookstore. There were the scrolls that were given and copies that were made. Most people didn't have those copies. So they had to listen and memorize what they were hearing of God's speech. They understand their history. And if you will read, if you'll take Genesis, start reading there and go all the way up through the Kings and Chronicles, you will begin to see how through the ages, even as time goes on, people will look back and they'll quote what was taking place in Genesis or Judges or any other of the books that they were familiar with. They didn't have the whole canon of Scripture like we do. But they had it because God speaks. <clears throat> that is why Satan, since the garden, has been at war with God's word. 
And any place where he can eradicate it, he will do so. He will eradicate it if he could. Now, the Jews heard that the God of glory appeared to Father Abraham and told him and his descendants the land for possession. They knew that God gave Abraham and his descendants the land of Canaan. That the Lord gave Abraham covenant of circumcision and promised him a seed in whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. They knew this. They knew that God spoke, that God made promises, that God gave blessings, and he also gave curses. But it was all divine speech. And when we read Genesis, when we read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the book of Revelation, we are hearing divine speech. God speaking. Century after century, the stories were repeated of Isaac begetting Jacob and Jacob begetting 12 sons who became the mighty nation of Israel. They knew that God spoke to Moses from the burning bush and that he led the Israelites out of their cruel bondage in Egypt by great signs and awesome plagues, dreadful plagues. They knew by heart the stories of Moses leading the people through the wilderness and receiving from the very hand of God the laws of the covenant and the laws of the sacrifices. They were given their religion. Do we understand that? They make it up. Hey, y'all, let's get somebody that can talk well and get him in there. And let's make sure we have a band, get, get some singers here. And let's, uh, maybe we ought to get something called pews. Doesn't matter to me, but we all got to get together and either sit down or stand up. There wasn't anything like that. God told them how to worship. And he tells us how to worship. That is one of the reasons we hold to the doctrine that is called the regulative principle of worship. God, in his divine speech, gave the entire layout. There's some room here and there. There's some wiggle room, but not much. You better not make your own fire. Better not make your own incense. God killed Nadab and Abihu for fooling with his worship. It isn't just, oh, you know, let's just make up something that feels good. By the way, that's, that's what was going on in the Canaanite religion. It was about feeling good. That's why they had temple prostitutes. God's religion was because of his divine speech make the tabernacle like this all the priests need to be of this age they need to do this they need to do that and they ought to run a course for so many years they need to be and and he gives every detail that you can imagine and he said do it like this told Moses right at the very beginning everything I showed you on the mountain that's exactly the way it needs to go because it's God's worship He doesn't turn it over to sinful men to play with, to get creative with. In minute detail, God gave Moses the instructions for for the tabernacle and he instituted everything about that worship from the laws of sacrifice to 
the incense and all of the furniture within the room of the, the, the tabernacle. What child in Israel's later years did not grow up hearing about Joshua and the battle of Jericho? <clears throat> of Samson and Delilah, of David and Goliath, of Solomon and his wisdom, and of the deliverance, that mighty deliverer who would come out of Zion. God promised the one that would crush the serpent's head. And as the years went by, and as the revelation of God got broader and clearer, they knew that the promise to Abraham would ultimately terminate in somebody. A person that would later be called Messiah. When those would, of the, the earlier days, ancient times, when they would look into the scriptures and read Genesis. I've said this to the staff this, this last week. They didn't look at Genesis 3.15, the one who would crush the serpent's head. They didn't go... Bet that's Jesus. They didn't know who it was. They just know that God promised. It was divine speech. It was not the full revelation. That was to come. But it was all God speaking. Someone is going to crush that serpent's head. We can look back and say, as Christ hung on the cross and said, it is finished. <clears throat> and three days later rose into glory. The serpent was crushed for good. Amen. He's still fighting, but he is a defeated foe. And we will see all that in the day of judgment. Brethren, are you listening when God speaks? Can you tell the story of the Old Testament to your children, parents, children with the Bibles that you have, are, are, are you reading them and are you getting some help understanding, you know, some of those very dark places in the Bible, some of those very unusual places? I mean, why is a donkey talking? <laughs> I won't pursue that thought for the moment. What I would say to all of you, is that it's very easy for us to pick up the Bible and miss God's divine speech. To hear what he's saying to us. What does Ezekiel have to say to me? Right? You go down to the river Kibar and you look at that unbelievable vision. What does that mean to you? How does that help you with the children tomorrow? Right? But it's all God speaking and there's a reason for it. <clears throat> More of that as we press on. In Israel and Judah's latter days, God zealously called the covenant-breaking kings and the people to repent and to be faithful to God's covenant. Read them. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then go to the, the, the 12 minor prophets and read them. They're all taking, almost all of them are taking place during the times of Samuel and the kings, especially kings and chronicles. And when you know what they're speaking into, it makes a whole lot more sense when you read some of the unusual imagery that's there. But the whole point of the prophets was to go in according to God's will and to tell them, be faithful to the God you're covenanted with.
Be faithful to that God. He spoke to you. He covenanted with the people of Israel out at Mount Sinai. They took wedding vows together. But you're being unfaithful to him. Matter of fact, read Deuteronomy and you'll hear Moses saying to the people, all right, you're going to go over into the land. You know what's going to happen when you get there? You're going to disobey the Lord. He didn't know much about encouraging people, did he? But he told them the truth. He told them the truth very plainly because it was God's speech. And they did okay, sort of, for a while. But they finally were dragged away, pulled out of the land. Why? Because they broke the covenant. God spoke and they went another way. There are consequences. There are incredible blessings in having God's speech. But there are very serious consequences in ignoring it. And even we as believers can try to go our own way in some things. And it's a, the old saying is you can pay me now or you can pay me later, but you're going to pay me. Mm-hmm. You cannot just break God's law, break God's commandments and think nothing's going to happen. Because God is good enough to speak to us. He could have left us in darkness. <sighs> the Israelites knew that they were the only people on earth to whom pertained the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God. That means his worship and the promises of the coming Messiah. They knew they were the only ones that had that promise. Divine speech. So it's almost redundant to ask the question, how did they know this? Because God speaks. This is exactly what the author of Hebrews is driving home to those he's writing to. God speaks. God spoke. How did he speak to us as a people? Well, the prophets came to them. God in his mercy raised up prophets and sent them with his words. With his words. With his words. Uh, Israel knew because of divine speech. The author of Hebrews tells us that God spoke at sundry times. Now that means in various times. Or even in many different times. Which of course is the unfolding of the old covenant scriptures the prophets also spoke in diverse manners which means in various ways or even in many ways the word can be understood both ways when did these prophets speak to the fathers well there's a time here it's set before us in time past in ancient days way back there Now, at this point, we should begin to think, should be starting to think, what has this got to do with the epistle to the Hebrews? Oh, everything. Everything. Keep listening. <clears throat> the ancient times of the prophets were simply the story of Israel. 
the Israel of God. And from the creation of the world to the coming of Christ, God's people lived in the progressing revelation of God's divine speech. He kept expanding the picture. It's extraordinary. If you read the scriptures straight through, if you're just kind of poking hope all the time, you're not going to see much continuity between the Bible. You know, what, what am I going to read today? What am I going to read today? Right there. Okay. All right. Now you can do that and you'll come up with truth. And you need to make sure you're in a context so you understand what you're reading. But if you take that book and read it and read it systematically and keep going from Genesis to Malachi and then from Matthew to Revelation, you begin to see in the Old Testament, people that have come this far look back to some of the things that were taking place behind them. And they're looking forward to the things ahead of them. And God opens it up a little bit more. Divine speech, primarily through the prophets. It's a very, very, very incredible story. It's thrilling. So, the prophets were the ones that God used mostly for bringing his divine speech to human beings. So that, that raises an obvious question, or it should. Uh, what is a prophet? A prophet is a person who speaks to men from God. And there were prophetesses as well. But it is a person who speaks to men, to people from God. That's fairly simple. A prophet is a mediator. A prophet is a go-between. A prophet goes between God And other humans. And he brings them God's word. God said to Aaron and Miriam. Hear now my words. Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you. I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision. Or will speak unto him in a dream. But he spoke to Moses face to face. But in whatever way he came, he put his words in men's mouths. And they were to speak his words. Not their own. Not change the message. Not make people comfortable. And not go in just for the purpose of laying people low. But to tell them what God is saying. There are great joys for God's people in what he says. There are great sorrows in neglecting many of the things that he says. But it's always truth. Unchanging, eternal truth. God loved his prophets. And he called them my servants, the prophets. My servants, the prophets. You can look up that that phrase if you want to. And see how many times it appears. God loved his prophets. Because they were faithful men. They said what he said. The prophets of God were his holy instruments through whom he revealed his eternal purpose. He did that through his covenants and he did that through the revelation that he would give to the prophets to speak. The existence of prophecy, as a matter of fact, confirms the doctrine of predestination. God has purposed to bring something to pass 
and he will infallibly do so. He will announce that's what he's going to do, and that's what happens because he's planned it before. <clears throat> I, I hear people all the time going, oh, I don't like that doctrine of predestination. Oh, you don't like his promise of Jesus coming then because it was absolutely certain that Jesus would come into this world. No king, no authority on earth could stop our king. <clears throat> and you could go through the Bible on many of these things, but just, uh, I would say to you, watch when God says it's going to happen. It happens. There, there is an option very often. It won't happen if you repent. The problem is most of the time, they wouldn't repent. They didn't take God's divine speech seriously. Do, do we? Do we? I have to start with me and ask that question. Do you? Take divine speech seriously. Well, the prophets communicated God's revelation in his way and in his time. <clears throat> and that is why they are among God's most important servants in the Bible. They delivered God's divine speech faithfully. Well, then how did men become prophets? <clears throat> how did they become prophets? Well, it's much like the priesthood, you couldn't just say, I'm going to do it. God had a way of coming to men and outfitting them for that work. I'm going to give you just three. And I'm going to read some extensive passages here. <clears throat> How did Isaiah become a prophet? Well, he didn't, he didn't run for office. God chose him. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah 6, he, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Twain, if you're not familiar with it, just means two. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me. For I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. After being purged, he could say, Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, 
but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. How would you like to be given that message? He goes on to say, well, how long do you want me to do that? He said, till they're wasted. Hmm. You wouldn't want to just sign on. God very often gave messages that were hard. Same thing with Jeremiah. <clears throat> then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I've put my words in thy mouth. Notice. That's the perfect expression of what a prophet is. God's words in my mouth and express them to another. Words in my mouth. God's words in my mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plan. Wherefore, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because ye speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire. And this people would, and it shall devour them. Divine speech can be very sobering. How delightful that this very prophet could also say from God, behold, the days come when I'm going to make a new covenant. And we're living in that covenant. Thousands of years ago, it was promised that we would know Jesus Christ. But it says, I will make my words in, my, in thy mouth fire. Ezekiel, let's consider Ezekiel for a minute. Ezekiel was by the river Kibar. <clears throat> he was in captivity. He says, I looked and I beheld and I looked and behold a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof was the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. You'd relate to that. And everyone had four faces. And everyone had four wings. Now the vision takes up the entire chapter. I won't read all of that. I can encourage you to do so. It takes, it's, it's a very lengthy vision. But you see, it's these visions. God calls a man into his presence. And it's different every time. He doesn't have a canned speech. He says, this is what I want you to do. And you're going to say what I want you to say. And there will be times when they have glorious things to say. As Isaiah, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Is God's promise. Amen. He came. It's quoted in Matthew. 
Matthew and the New Testament begin to unfold with one prophecy after another. That's why all of the Gospels say, uh, this is the fulfillment of that prophet. Uh, what this just happened right here that I'm writing about, that fulfilled that promise. Now, why am I telling you this? Because this is what the book of Hebrews is about. It's people that want, who have left the Jewish religion for Christ and now want to leave because things are heating up. And the author is saying, you don't understand the greatness, the betterness, the immensity of the glory of Christ. You've heard God's divine speech. I'm telling you that it's happened. And now you need to realize that old covenant that you're wanting to run back to is finished. And Christ is better. Chapter after chapter after chapter. I know the story. I know what you're thinking. You're starting to be persecuted, many of you, because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, it would be nice to go back to the Jews who had a protected religion under Rome. And go back to what we're familiar with. We can go back. We understand seeing a priest. We don't understand a priest. We can't see. We can't see the sacrifice. You tell us that he died on a cross. I can see when they cut that bull's throat. In other words, going back to something that's clearly tangible. Christ is better. That's the whole book. Christ is better. Now let me say one thing about Revelation. Not the book. But what is a revelation? David Martin Lloyd-Jones gives us a wonderful definition. It's a little lengthy if you want it. I'll send it to you. But it's, quote, Revelation is an act by which God communicates to human beings the truth concerning himself, his nature, his works, will, or purposes. And it also includes the unveiling of all this, the drawing back of the veil that conceals this in order that we may see. There's certain things that we have to understand in order to grasp the scripture. This book, Genesis to Revelation, is, it doesn't just have some revelations. It is revelation from beginning to end. Every syllable is God speaking. It's his speech to us, especially about our sin and his glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. He is better than the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant had its glory. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But that the New Covenant is greater in its glory. It's so glorious, the glory of the first covenant almost doesn't qualify as glory. It's like a match compared to the sun. The glory of Christ. It wasn't just a minor transition. The eternal Son of God was made flesh to save us from our sins. And many, 
Many in the Old Testament just did not understand it. But you see, it's a revelation. God did it the way he wanted to. He unfolded bit by bit, going from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end when Christ returns and sets everything right. Everything, everything points to Christ. So what's the point? The point, if I just had to put it in one sentence, is Christ is better. Christ is better than the old covenant. The new covenant is better than the old. The author gives us an extraordinary and remarkable contrast between the old and the new covenants. And we will look at the blessings of Christ in the next message. God willing, look with me and let me show you where the contrast lies. In, In verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. What's he talking about there? The story of Israel. He is talking about Israel's story. He is talking about the Old Testament scriptures. He is talking about the old covenant, the first covenant. I tell you, my brethren, It's right there. God, at one time, in different ways, different manners, all of that, he spoke unto the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, contrast. In the past, but now we're in something new. We're not in the past where the old covenant is. He says, In these last days, spoken unto us by his son. In other words, the prophets, as they were part of the Old Testament, are finished. That didn't mean there weren't any New Testament prophets. Christ is a prophet himself, and we will see that in the next message, God willing. But the contrast is then and now. And the the Holy Spirit is telling us that then was important, but now is superior. The surpassing excellence of Jesus Christ, the superior glory of Jesus Christ. You're settling for a shell. Hath in these last days, which by the way, again, we'll spend just a few minutes on that next time. This was 2,000 years ago when he said, in these last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. They're not simply, you know, the, the, the very short period of time right before the Lord Jesus comes back. You're in the last days. People tell me all the time, we're in, we're in the last days. Now, here's what they mean. <laughs> we're going to be raptured any moment. That's what they're saying. And I'm not mocking that. In, in that, I hope they're right. I would like to be gone when, when some of the things that the Scripture talk about begin to take place on this world. But I will tell you with all my heart, there have been antichrists since the first age of the new covenant. John tells us that in his first letter. Many antichrists. And there's plenty of them out there today. <clears throat> so we've got an extraordinary experience before us. The prophets are finished. But in these last days, something is better Uh, Something better is taking place. And he says it. 
hath in these last days spoken unto us by son. In other words, there's been a change on who you listen to. We can listen to the prophets if we understand them in the light of the fulfillment of the prophecies. All right? We need the light of Christ to rightly understand what the prophets were saying. And that's the age we live in. Praise God. So, in these last days, he's spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, the most beautiful words your ears will ever hear, your foul rebellions against God washed away forever. He purged us of our sins. He's not trying. He's not going to. It is done. It is done. He's purged our sins. Then he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better. This is what the entire letter is about. We're going to hear, as we said in our our introductions, we're going to hear all the way through the comparisons to what the Jews want to go back to with what Christ has accomplished in his person and his work, and it's better. In fact, it's the fulfillment of what all the types and shadows in the Jewish religion were about. They are no longer what God receives as his worship. It's finished. No more tabernacle. We're the tabernacle. No more sacrifices. Jesus was the sacrifice. And the whole letter goes on and on. Telling us how much better Jesus Christ is. And why is that important? Because these people were facing persecution, it appears. If we were to face persecution, how would we get through it? How would we get through it? What would you need the most? You would need Christ. You would need Christ Jesus. Brethren, whatever our end times point is, it does look like there will be some suffering, maybe very intense suffering for the churches of Jesus Christ before Christ returns to make things right. Whatever our view, Christ, the better one, is coming. So, in these last days, brethren, God has spoken to us by His Son, and we're going to see all through the 13 chapters of this incredible letter how we need persevering faith in Christ in perilous times. May we look to the cross of Christ, his finished work, his shed blood, his glorious resurrection, his ascending into glory, his, the very fact that he's purged our sins and he's sitting at, the, sitting at the Father's right hand. That should fill our hearts with joy, whatever comes our way. Amen. There is your anchor. 
There is your rock. There is your safety in the boat during the storm. The Lord Jesus. Amen. May the Lord help us to grasp all these wonderful truths. O Christ, thou art the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth we've tasted, more deep we'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness, thy mercy does expand. And glory, glory dwelleth, because Christ is there in Emmanuel's land. Now, Father, fill our hearts with these truths. Help us to think about thy divine speech. Thou hast said this. Help us to listen. Help us to learn. Help us to glorify the Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would please stand with me, we will have our benediction. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. He's talking about the Old Testament here. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.